Hi, welcome to the Refuge House broadcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. Here at the Refuge House, we help people discover their God-given uniqueness through the teaching of God's word so that they can be empowered to make a difference and impact the world for Christ. So here's what you need to do. We need you to grab your Bible, your notebook, your pens, and then get ready for a powerful message and see what God is going to do. I believe there are people in your life that probably need this message. So go ahead and share this to them and invite them to be a part of what God is doing today. Thank you and enjoy this week's message. Say God has a word for you. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you ready? We'll be looking at getting back to the ways of the Spirit. I want to believe that you are taking time to follow the series. You're writing what you're learning because what we're teaching is about the life that you and I have been saved into. You've been born to a spirit life. Say with me, say, I've been born to a spirit life. Say that one more time. One more time again. Please understand this, that this life that you and I have been saved into is what the Bible describes as a mystery that was hidden for ages. The Bible says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It was because of this life Jesus died. It was because of this life redemption was made a reality. We were saved. It caught the blood of Jesus to give us this life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It caused the blood of Jesus to do what? To give us this life. This life is not a normal life. It's not a human life. It's a divine life. You've been born again to live the divine life. And the divine life is the spirit life. See, I hear you. Come on, see, I hear you. See, I hear you. Um, last Sunday, we, be, we, we looked at areas where Jesus demonstrated the greatness of his power. And today we're going to be looking at begin in the same series um, of getting back into the ways of the Spirit on what I call Spirit-empowered living. Say amen. But, but first of all, let, let us just go through... Um, the areas where Jesus demonstrated the greatness of his power. I told you there are three things the Spirit of God wants the believer, the saints, to know. In Ephesians 1, Paul was praying as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said, this is what God wants you to know. Please, it's, understand, it's, it's important you understand that once you're born again, the priority of God for your life and my life is to know. Everybody said to know. See, we, and I've told you, knowing it's not like natural knowledge where you bank knowledge. You know, you, you keep accumulating knowledge, some of them not necessary, all right? But, but in the kingdom, you know differently. You're born again to know by revelation. Everybody say by revelation. Revelation is knowing to live. It is not knowing to show off. 
It is not knowing to impress. It is knowing to leave. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And revelation knowledge is knowing to leave. When you have a revelation of God, what you know becomes personal and operational in your life. Uh, Moses said to the children of Israel, he says, the things that are revealed belongs to us. Is that not true? The things that are what? Revealed belong until you have a revelation knowledge of what the word of God says. It's not personalized. You still have a general knowledge. The impact of the word of God is not in the general. The impact of the word of God is when it becomes revealed to you. That's when it affects you. That's when it speaks in your life. That's when it makes you a testimony of what you know. But if what we know is just intellectual, it's just on the realm of, of knowledge, it's not, it's not revelation in our spirit, it's just something that shows our intelligence, then we don't really know him. So Paul began to pray. He says that the Father of glory may give unto me and you the spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge. So the difference with revelation knowledge is the presence of the spirit of wisdom and what? The spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation. The spirit of wisdom. And the wisdom of God, it's about strategic application of the knowledge of God. That's where insight comes from. Insights. Application of knowledge comes from wisdom. That's why the Bible says get wisdom. With all your getting, get understanding. Insight, understanding are all product of the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is administered by the Holy Spirit. So please understand this. God wants us to come into the revelation knowledge of three things. Number one, the hope of his calling. Say the hope of his calling. The word hope of his calling means there is an expectation why you and I have been saved. The word call means we've been saved to answer a call. The first primary call is the call for fellowship. If you read 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, the Bible says we've been called into the fellowship of the Son. You've been called into fellowship with God. The second calling is the calling to serve Him or to walk with Him and walk for Him. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship or product created in Christ Jesus unto good works which He ordained before time that you and I should do what? Should walk in them. And part of the work he's ordained is walking in the reality of who we are in him and walking in agreement with the assignment that he's ordained for our life. Now, that's not my emphasis this morning. The next level of understanding is to come into the riches or the wealth of the glory of the inheritance that God has in the saints. You and I are God's inheritance. Say amen. amen. We, have, we are the vested interest of God. There is a wealth that has been made available to us as saints. The inheritance that we have in Christ. The Bible talks about um, 
in Colossians 1.12, he said, thanks be unto God who has qualified us or enabled us to become partakers of the inheritance that is in the saint. So we are product of the inheritance of God and God wants us to know that inheritance. He gives us an example in Colossians 1. He says, for he has delivered us from the authority of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The third one we're looking at, which is an integral part of the spirit life, is to know the exceeding greatness of God's power that has been made available to us. Say with me, say the power of God has been made available to me. Say that one more time. You need a revelation of that because Jesus made a statement. He said, you err or you are misled or you are mistaken not knowing the scripture nor the power of Almighty God. When we don't know the scripture, we will err when it comes to the power. And so God says, I want you to know the exceeding greatness. The almighty God has decided to share his power with you and I. He didn't do that to impress us. He did that because he has decided to share himself with us. That's what the Bible says, we are heads of God and joint heads with Christ. Say, I am the temple of God's power. Say, my life is the temple of God's power. And in order for Christ to reveal to us, the church, the reason behind his resurrection, behind his redemption, the reason why he came, one of the things God made him do was to display his power. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. To reveal and display his power. And so we look at some of the areas where Jesus demonstrated his power. Can we quickly go over them? Then we're going to begin with uh, our spirit, the spirit empowered living. Areas where Christ demonstrated and revealed the power of God. The first area we said he demonstrated the, the exceeding greatness of his power over what? Satan, demons, and the operation of darkness. It's important you know that, that God's power is exceedingly greater than Satan, demons, and the operation of darkness. Why was he casting that devil to reveal to you that his power is superior to Satan? Like I told you in the Old Testament, casting out demons was not, was not a reality. But in the new, when Jesus began to unveil the kingdom of God, one of the things he revealed that came with the kingdom of God was the driving away of demons. The oppression of darkness had been a mystery until Jesus showed up. So one area you and I must be, uh, must have understanding is that the greatness of the power of God that has been made available to you and I is exceedingly greater than Satan, demons, and the works of darkness. See, I hear you. It is important you know that because I've told you in spiritual warfare, the threat is what? Ignorance. What is the threat? I didn't hear you. What is the threat? 
fire. It is what you don't know that is the actual threat in your life. How do you process information? When you hear a story of a deliverance case, how do you process it? If the way you process it produces fear inside of you, it means you're ignorant of the authority of God's power over Satan, demons, and the operation. You may believe God. Of course, God is all-powerful. To you, I mean, the devil, demons, and darkness is not a problem for God. But, but that's not beneficial to you. It's only beneficial to you when you understand that that same mighty God with his mighty power has been made available to you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because through that power is giving you and I authority over Satan, demons, and the oppression of darkness. And Jesus demonstrated it. When he casted that devil, there was no argument. There was no drama. God's power is uncontestable. What makes it look cheap and ineffective in the life of Christians is ignorance. And Satan understands this very well, that when people are ignorant, they will err when it comes to the power of God. I've told you this. There is no limit to God's power. The limit is in our, in our mind, the way we think. What limits the flow of power is how we think. That's why God has given us his word to renew our mind. Renewing of the mind is taking away the mind limiters, the blockers that is blocking the flow of God's exceeding greatness. The exceeding greatness, rather, of his power in our life. So the devil is not a mystery to God. His power is greater than the devil. And he has given us that power. So if you are afraid of Satan, it shows that you are, you are really ignorant. Did you hear what I said? When the devil threatens you, when you wake up, you have a dream. I woke up two nights ago and I had a very interesting dream. But I knew that God was telling me to pray about something, so I just began to pray. I don't wake up and, and make, the, 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 your dream is not the Bible. The Bible is very clear. So when you have a dream, interpret it in the light of the understanding of God's word and deal with it for what it is. Am I making any sense? Are you hearing me? See, when you are ignorant of God's power, Satan will become a mystery to you. The operation of darkness will become a mystery to you. And, and people who are ignorant of the devil usually celebrate him. They talk about what he's doing. Their testimony of what Satan is doing is louder than what God is doing in their life because that's what they are aware of. All right? Number two, we said that Christ demonstrated the exceeding greatness of his power over what? What is the second one? To heal and to forgive. This is very important. To heal and to forgive sin. The power of God, the same power over Satan heals and forgives. The power of God heals. I told you in Luke chapter 5, Jesus was preaching. And there were other people, several scholars of the law, the elders, Pharisees, Sahendra. Some of them came because they were looking for an opportunity to entrap him. But the scripture says, why these guys, different people came with different interests, there was a reality that was there. 
the power of God was present to heal. God's power heals. Say amen. amen. I'm a living example of that. I've seen that happen in my life, in people's life. God's power heals. You may not have experienced healing. It doesn't mean the power can heal you. It simply means there is an unbelief somewhere that has to be dealt with. And can I tell you something? Unbelief can be ancient. Are you hearing me? That's why Jesus said you need something. You need to go pray and fasting to identify it. There are some unbelief that has worn the clothing of your thoughts. And they become like, they dress like you, they smell like you, they sound like you, they talk like you, they act like you. So it's very difficult to identify it. And if you don't spend some time praying to get clarity from God, an unbelief can be as old as your age. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing me? Yeah, it can be as old as your age. And the thing with an unbelief is that because it's mental, you probably may not identify quickly except the Holy Spirit helps you. Every area of our life we struggle is an area that we're yet to come into the revelation of God in that area. And, and the humility approach is Holy Spirit, teach me what I don't know. Did you hear what I said? What, what is the humility approach? Teach me what I don't know. Don't try to impress God with what you know. That's wrong. Teach me what I don't know. When you do that, the Spirit of God will teach you. As long as you remain teachable, you can grow and you can learn. And your experience in God's power will increase. Number two, um, secondly, we also said the same power forgives sin. Bible says, though your sin be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Number three, we said God's power can what? Can save. Only God's power saves. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power. God has condensed his power into a message. And that message is the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Christ and his finished work. That's what the Bible says. The word of God is quick and powerful. The gospel is the power that produces salvation. The gospel is the power that what? Produces salvation. Hallelujah. So God's power can save. Hallelujah. Matthew 18, 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Only God's power can save from sin. Only God's power can restore. Only God's power can bring salvation. Hallelujah. All right. Then we said number four, he demonstrated the exceeding greatness of his power to do what? Supernaturally, yeah, sustain. Everybody says supernatural sustain. Supernaturally sustain. Say that. How many of you know God can supernaturally sustain you? Oh, he can. He said that some of you don't even know. Your job, what you do, it's not your sustenance. Your sustenance is God. Who sustains you? You see, every one of you didn't say that because you probably don't believe it. 
Who sustains you? You know what uh, Abraham said when he came back from a battle and they were about to share the spoils. And so king of Sodom said, okay, take this one. Yeah, no, give my men and your people. He said, don't give me anything. Lest you say, I made Abraham great. Who is making you great? You, men, or God? You have to make a choice. There's a level of greatness people come into by virtue of the people they know and the work of their hand. But the greatness that God wants to give you can only come from him. Did you hear what I said? Can only come from him. How did God make Jacob great? Jacob, you know, wanted to marry, he served under Laban, wanted to marry Rachel. So he was asked to serve for seven years. But the father was very cunning, very deceptive. His father-in-law was very cunning. After seven years, in the night where he was supposed to consummate with Rachel, he switched Rachel with Leah. And by the time Jacob woke up the next morning, maybe they don't have light in their room. I'm very sure they don't have light. Yeah, I'm sure they don't have light. Because for me, Anyway, let's leave that side. By the next morning, he found out that it was Leah. So he said to the father, why did you do this to me? I told you I wanted to get married to Rachel. You went and gave me Leah. And he says, it's an abomination for the junior to marry before the senior. Why did he not tell him that one before the night? He said, well, if you want to marry Rachel, since you've already started with Leah, you have to serve how many other? And then years, seven years. So Laban was a deceitful man. And I've told you without the power of the Holy Spirit, there are three things you'll be a victim of. You'll be a victim of satanic limitation, human limitation, and what? Situational limitation. You will be, whether you like it or not. And so God decided to make Jacob great in the eyes of Laban. And you know what? Because after taking care of his stock for a while, God gave him an idea. He was sleeping in the night, and God spoke to him. He said, I am the one who appeared to you on your way here, and you made a vow to me. I am here to defend the covenant I have made with your father, Abraham. If you will do the following, this is what I will do. And God gave him an idea that was going to stand him out from Laban. He took what Laban had and produced his greatness from it. It is only God's power that can take what men meant to enslave you to become a raw material for your greatness. Do you understand what I mean by that? The, 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 the brothers of Abraham, I mean, sorry, Joseph, they sold him out of anger, out of jealousy, or envy rather. But, but later, when the events turned around, even Joseph didn't even have a, a full revelation of what God said. It was later when he went through the hardship that he had understanding of the scope that God meant. In his mind, he was thinking God was giving him a revelation to take over his house, to become the uh, overseer of the house. That, that was where his mind was because he saw the brother and the father and the mother in the two dreams that he had. 
But he didn't know that what God wanted to do in his life was much bigger than what his mind was telling him. And he had to allow the hatred of his brother to work for his favor in order to bring him to a place of yieldedness to God so that his will can be done in his life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are, are you hearing me? God's power supernaturally sustained Joseph. When he got to Egypt, where he was sold into Potiphar's house, the Bible made a very interesting statement. He was sold as a slave. So, and as a slave, you don't have a name. You don't have anything to your account. You are the property of your owner. But the Bible said in Genesis 39, but Joseph was what? Prosperous. The word prosperous means he was extremely great. And the Bible attributed his prosperity to nothing other than God was with him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Many are great today because they know someone. Many are great today because of where they work. But that kind of greatness cannot be compared to the greatness that God offers. Because the greatness of God is a product of himself. Say amen. Even when men are trying to oppress you, when you lean on God, the oppression becomes a stepping stone. You will not be bothered about what men can do because God sustains. Jesus was in the wilderness for several days with multitudes of people and they were hungry after three days. And disciples, out of human concern, said, Master, please, um, we appreciate that this thing you are doing is good. But you see, this is three days. These people have not eaten. And the way we're looking at them, they're hungry. Before they start becoming fainting here and it will turn into a crisis, tell them to go to the city and get food for themselves. At least you didn't ask them to come. They came by themselves. So let them go and look for food and eat. Then Jesus said, give them to eat. That was obviously a very strange question to a natural mind. And the man said, the master, is this supposed to be a joke? Okay, let me return the favor. We have five loaves and two fish. Do you not know, understand what that statement means? We have what? Five loaf and two fish. You say we should feed them, eh? No problem. We have five loaf and two fish. And even the money we have inside the account, you can't even buy for them. Jesus said, okay, bring it. And I can imagine, okay, what do you want to do? He said, bring it. He brought it. And the same power that heals the same power that forgives sin, the same power over Satan, the same power multiplied the food. Same power. So it's important you understand that God's power can supernaturally sustain you. And when I use the word sustain, how the power goes about to sustain you is the power's business. It's not your business. Are you hearing me? If it requires God to do a supernatural multiplication of food, he will do it. Remember the widow at Zarephath that he sent Elijah to go and meet. He said, I have commanded her to feed you. And if you read your Bible, at least I read several times, there was no official meeting between God and, and the prophet. But in the design of God's purposes, it was ordained that that woman would be used as the channel through which 
God was going to sustain the prophet. So the source behind the woman's sustenance was not the woman, but God. He said, I have commanded, I, 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 I've commanded her to sustain you, to take care of you. So it wasn't what the woman had. You could confirm that in the story. Because what she had was just a handful of meal, and she was taking her last meal so that after eating, they would die. Because the thing, they manage and manage. There's a point you manage, you can't manage again. So you know this is the end of the management. So she had made up her mind, let's just go and take this thing. After everything, we just prepare, we'll die. Because there's no more. Then, then the prophet comes. He said, hey, get me water to drink. Water, there's water, no problem. As she was going, he said, can you bring something for me to eat? He said, man of God, before God and I, I won't lie to you. This is my last meal. He said, don't worry, make for me first. That means even what you have, meaning that what will sustain you is not what you have. Did you hear what I said? What you have is just a tool in God's divine sustenance. The problem is that when we start looking to what we have as the sustenance, we limit what the power can do. Are you hearing me? We limit it. And the woman obeyed. Thank God she obeyed. When she obeyed, the sustaining ability of the Holy Ghost came into her household. Every food she had was supernaturally kept and sustained. Just like God fed the multitude, God supernaturally sustained her. Somebody say, praise God. Then number three, and number four also, I think last one we said, we said Jesus demonstrated the exceeding greatness of his power to do what? Number five. Over, over the environment, over the element. Everybody say over the element. Remember what happened? The disciples were, I think we read Matthew 14. Jesus had dispersed, uh, told the disciples to go to the other side. He will meet them up. Is that not true? Then he, he said he was going to take care of the crowd and, and disperse them. Why they were going, he, was, he took time to disperse. And he went into a mountain to pray. While he was praying, the Bible says the disciples had got into the middle of the sea. And there was a turbulence. Everywhere was wild. They became scared. They were struggling to survive. And while they were in the midst of that, Christ was coming to them. Walking, Bible said he was walking on water. That's not a normal sight. And, and apart from the fact that if, if you are in your house, in, on land, looking from the window to the river, and you see somebody walking on top of water, um, you can close the window, you can hide, you can say, come and see you. Or you can say, no, I'm not seeing where. I'm, I'm sure something is wrong with me. You can do that. But, but, but you can't do that when you are struggling to survive on the water. And you're not too sure whether you will live or die. And while you are fighting to survive, in the midst of that confusion, you now hear, tapu, 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 tapu. Somebody walking. And not just walking, walking to you. How do you, how, how you, are you supposed to respond? How are you supposed to feel? The Bible says when they say they panicked. Then they say, ah, this is the end. You don't finish. Well, some theologian says that they had this myth or this fable then that if fishermen see spirits, that means they will die. 
Maybe that could be the reason for the fear. Because they, they were terrified, they were scared. And Jesus spoke, he said, hey, calm down, it's me. So they looked at him, is it you? He said, is it not me? Then Peter said, okay, if it is you, tell me to come. Then the one who has power over the element, who can suspend the laws of nature. Do you know every time God heals you, God puts aside the law of science? Eh? Oh, you don't know? Every time God's power shows up, God, God reveals the supremacy of his power over the element itself because he's the one who created the elements. When he says you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, I hope you know that's not scientifically proven. Eh? Your hand is not antibiotic. Your hand is not panadol. So it is not your hand that is doing the healing. It's the power of God through your hands that is what? That's doing the healing. So Jesus demonstrated his power over the element. And he said, come. And Peter stepped on that word, come. And the power over element showed up. And Peter began to walk on water. And while he was walking on water to Jesus, something interesting happened. As long as his focus was Christ, he stayed on that realm. But the moment he turned and looked at the waves and the surrounding and the bad reports and the bad image and the fearful sight, his focus shifted from Christ to what he saw. And the Bible said he began to sink. Fear came into his heart and he began to sink. And he cried and said, Jesus, save me. And just said, why did you doubt? I'm doing this thing to show you that you can do it if you trust me. Say amen. amen. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, now, now please get this. It, it's important you understand this. I'm do, Jesus was not demonstrating his power to impress man. He was demonstrating his power to introduce us to a life that has been offered to us in Christ. Am I making any sense? Are, are you still with me? I'm going to show you why the Bible said the, the power of God and the wisdom of God, why it's connected. Because without the wisdom of God, you will abuse the power of God. I hope you know that. Eh? You call people and say, come, come, come. See, Jesus, walk on. let me show you people that can walk too. You will step, you will fall. Are you hearing me? I will tell you. I'll show you the connection between the power of God and the wisdom of God. Say Amen. Now, there are two other areas I'm just going to mention, and I'll start what I want to share today. Jesus' power also, Jesus also demonstrated his power to raise the dead. Raising the dead happened in the Old Testament on few occasions. Elijah raised the dead. Elisha raised the dead. All right? And, and there were some other instances where the dead were raised. There was a time when they were going to bury Elisha, and uh, while they were taking him to a tomb, the power he carried was still in his bones. So when they saw the enemy coming, they threw the body into the, um, into the tomb. And the body touched a man that would just died, that they just brought there. As the body touched it, bam, the thing revived and came back to life. That's the power of God. Same power in the Old Testament is the same power that manifested in the New Testament. Jesus' power can raise the dead. Say amen. amen. Say, come on, say amen to that. Amen. There are different instances in the Bible. 
Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, Mark chapter 5, verse 35 down. You know, he came to meet uh, Jesus. My daughter is sick. Please come and pray for her. She be well. On his way there, the daughter died. Before he got there, the daughter was dead. And so somebody came and said, hey, don't trouble the master. Your daughter is gone. Jesus said, hey, fear not, only believe. And when he got there, the people were all, you know, the morning sagana. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, hey, hey, why are you guys doing all this? The girl is only sleeping. He's not dead. They all paused as if it was a choir. They just stopped once. From crying, he turned to laughter. They started laughing. They said, you must be mad. Something we have confirmed that she's dead. So he said, okay, no problem. All of you get out. Took only the mother and the father and three of the disciples. He went, looked at the girl. He said, Tali Takumi. That means, young damsel, I say to you, get up. Anybody can say that. But when Jesus says it, power shows. And the Bible says, and she immediately arose. Said, give her food to eat. And when the girl came out, I can imagine what happened to the laughter. He froze. Because what they laughed at was standing life, looking at them. Hear me, brothers and sisters, the same power can raise the dead. You didn't hear what I said. I said the same power can raise the dead. It's important you know that. Another instance was Jairus, I mean Lazarus, who had died for four days. And this lady, younger, died several hours. Four days is troublesome because biologically speaking, the body, rigor mortis had certain maggots would have started appearing in the body depending on the level of environment and would have been smelling. So when Jesus showed up, Mary and Martha was already offended. You know that they don't know how to show their verse. So when Jesus called, one sat inside, the other one was, say, Jesus is calling, eh? they call me, okay, Master, do, welcome. How you doing? Say, fine. You know that one, no more smile. Then he said, Master, you know if you were here, my brother would not have died, though. Sure you know. But anyway, don't die. We will see him in the resurrection. She just said, no, you don't get it. Resurrection is me. It's not a day. I am the resurrection and the life. Did I not believe that if you tell you that if you believe me, you're going to see the glory of God? She couldn't talk. He said, where did you put him? Ah, he said, Master, hold on. He's smelling, you know. It's four days, in case you didn't know. You know, we told you before when he was sick to come. You know, and if you read from John 11, he said, and Jesus loved him and stayed two extra days because it wasn't time for him to come. And so he said, Master, it's four days, oh. He said, where have you laid him? And while they were like, you know, those bad Jewish guys that had said, I, I loved him. Was he not the man that can raise open deaf ear? That can cure. Where was he when he was sick? Eh? Where was he? Where was he? They were using money to mock Jesus. And, and the Bible said, and he wept. So where have you laid him? So they took him to the place. Interestingly, all, when he got to the tomb of Lazarus, he got there alone. All the disciples had disappeared. Because the, the, the four days... That's a stretch, oh, Jesus. That's yeah, taking this ministry to the level is too far. So it's okay. Let's be watching him. So you know, the, the, stone, the tomb had been closed. He said, roll the stone away. And he stood there. 
Look at the confidence with which he prayed. He said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. So that means the matter was settled before he got there. He said, but for the sake of these ones, let them know you sent me. Lazarus, come out. He didn't shout, come out, come out. You know, like we all do today. Come out, come out, come out. No, uh, he just said, come out. The power is not in the repetition. Sometimes when we do that, it's God, we're afraid. You're afraid. Jesus, Jesus. Once is enough, he knows. He knows. But sometimes some of you have to shout it so you can shut yourself from fear and into faith. That I understand. But as you grow in your confidence, you understand the authority. Read today's devotional. I said something about the name of Jesus. And the Bible said immediately, Lazarus appeared at the gate. He said, lose him and let him go. And they did. And people traveled from far and near to confirm if it was a, it was a hoax or it was actually true. People were traveling to come and check it because the death of Lazarus went far. But they came and they met him sitting there eating well after four days. That means the power of God not only raised him, it regenerated his body. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It regenerated his cell, everything that was thinking was regenerated. It's the power that created, so the power can repair. And finally, the power of God, write this down, can resurrect. Those are two different things. Raising the dead, when someone is raised from the dead, he can die again. But when you are resurrected, you don't die again. You hear what I said? Jesus is the only one that has resurrected. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Romans 1.4 says, Jesus has been declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead, but they died again. But resurrection is, hear me and hear me very well. Resurrection is when he resurrected, he didn't die again. Let me tell you, give you a sample. Write this down. John chapter 10, verse 15 to verse 18. Jesus spoke about the power of resurrection. That's what distinguished, distinguished Jesus from every other person. Jesus is the only one that has resurrected from the dead. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He died, but he resurrected. He resurrected not to die anymore. That was why Paul, by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 15, I think verse 57, he said, thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through Christ Jesus. Because when he rose, he said, oh grave, where is your power? Is that not so? Jesus broke the power of the grave. Because he not only died, he resurrected. Somebody say resurrected. Look at John 10, 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. So say with me, say he died for me. Died. Say that louder. Say he died for me. He laid down his life. That laying down is through the death of the cross. Verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I will bring and they will hear my voice, praise God, and there, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, therefore, 
my father loves me because I lay down my life. And what did he say? And I may, that I may take it again. He's speaking with the power of resurrection. Look at verse 18, you see there. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. Watch this. Now, that power is talking about his resurrection power. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. That can only be by the resurrection. This command I have received from my father. When he died, Satan was happy. Jesus was dead. He was happy. The person has been <coughs> excuse me, molesting him, trying to destroy his plants, was finally dead. But he didn't understand the implication of the death. Paul by the Spirit said, if the princes had known, they would not have crucified him. If the devil had knew that the death of Christ was going to lead to his resurrection, he would have left him alone. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The power of resurrection is power over death, power over the grave. Somebody say glory be to God. I must say glory be to God. Hallelujah. See, all this dimension, let, let, let's, let's begin to introduce where I'm going. Write this down, spirit-empowered living. You can't begin because I'm going to be teaching some principles from the book. Everybody says spirit-empowered living. Can you say that louder? One more time, everybody. Say it louder. Say, I've been born again to live a spirit-empowered life. Say that. Say, I've been born again to live a spirit-empowered life. Hallelujah. There's human empowerment. And, and funny enough, many of us, we are living our life for human empowerment. Human empowerment can come through connection. It can come, that, that's why you see people sacrificing for election, but they will not prosper this time in Jesus' name. Yeah, because they, they know that when they get power, they have favors. Is that not true? When they have power, they can will some things. They can. They can. They have some privileges to do certain things. They can have access to money they didn't work for. That's where the ministry of Ghana must go back came from. Just give money. I mean, and, and you didn't work. They just give you 20 million. Your head will, will just bend. Just, just bend. You just be thinking nonsense. 20 million. Say, what do I do now? Go and stay in Sheraton. Book two months. Are you not stupid? Two months, Sheraton. Then after two months, you just be eating, 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 eating. Call your friends to come and eat. That's, that's only how stupid you are. Then you now say, let's travel. Say, I never go to America. Make her go to America. Then you now go there and go and take pictures. You know, the, but then you now look for one big expensive phone to buy. You know, the one you there, you know, all those things you see in rappers, you want to wear them. You go and buy their canvas, buy their shoe, buy their clothes. You forget that money they spend is going. You spend that one. Then you now go to Hollywood, take pictures there, you know, travel. Then you come back, you forget your household, you forget your mother, you forget your father, you forget your family, you forget everything. It's about you. That's what happens when resources has no wisdom behind it. Are you hearing me? 
You see it anyhow. Then you now start oppressing people. The people in your street will not sleep again because you have money. You'll be holding parties. People will be coming to see you up in the night, making noise. Anybody wants to shout, you, you, you pay Mopo to come and beat them. You become a nuisance to yourself and your generation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Thank God for Jesus. Let, let me know. Go there. Thank God for Jesus. So there's human empowerment. There's human empowerment. There is job empowerment. There, there is certain um, access, certain opportunity you can have by your job, by your education, by, by human, human level. But there is a, you, you were not born again to live by human empowerment. You're born again to live by spirit empowerment. As many as are led by the spirit, they are what? They are the source of God. Say with me, say I've been saved to live a spirit empowered life. The moment you're born again, your source of strength is the Holy Ghost. Bible says not by might, not by power, but by what? By the Spirit. You are saved to live a spirit-energized life all the days of your life. Oh, I pray you understand where I'm going with this. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hear me. We now know that why Jesus demonstrated his power. Why he did that? There are two foundational reasons. Write this down. I've shared them on and on, but let me structure them as I teach. There are two foundational reasons Jesus demonstrated the exceeding greatness of his power in those seven areas we looked at. Power over demons, power over Satan and the works of darkness, power to heal and to forgive. Is that not so? Power to save. Huh? All right. Power to, uh, power to save. Yeah, power to heal and forgive sin, power to save, power over the elements. Is that not so? Power to supernaturally sustain, power to raise the dead, and power of resurrection. Why did he do that? Like I told you, he wasn't doing that to impress. He was doing that to reveal the kind of life that he has come to offer me and you. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? You see, Jesus operated everything Jesus did. That power he displayed, which the Bible calls in, in Ephesians, uh, the, power, the exceeding greatness of his power, is also called the power of the Spirit. The power of God is also called the power of the Spirit. Let me show you that. Go to um, Luke 4, verse 14. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. This is the same power that has been made available to us in Christ. It's called spirit power. That's where our empowerment comes from. Spirit power. Luke 4:14. What did he say? The Bible declares, then Jesus returned in what? In the power of the spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding. Everybody said the power of the spirit. Say that one more time. Say the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit is our power base. Where is your power base? The power of the Spirit. You are saved to live by the power of the Spirit. Let me show you again. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. So you know that you are saved to live a power life. Everybody say power life. 
Say, I've been born again to live a power life. Say, I've been born again to live a power life. And if you are not living by your power base, you're going to become a victim. People who don't have power becomes victim of those who have power. Because the borrower will be a servant to the lender. Are you hearing me? Second Corinthians chapter 13. Are you there? The Bible declares in verse 4 and 5, or verse 4, it says, for though he was crucified, talking about Jesus, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by what? He lives by what? I'm not hearing you. Talk to me, somebody. He lives by what? You need to say that so your head can hear it. He lives by what? He lives by the power of God. If you know this, it will change your life. Why, why do you think Christians, a lot of believers, the, the kind of Christian life they're living is the way it is. It's because they are completely oblivious or ignorant of the fact that the Christian life is the power life. The way they pray, you will know that they err. They don't know God's power. They don't. The way they speak, you will know they don't know. And I ask you, do you know that your power base is God's power? And that you are saved to live by the power of God? I'm saved to live by his power, the power of the Spirit. Say, I hear you. Say, I've been born again to live by the power of the Spirit. So there are two foundational reasons that Jesus, behind Jesus' demonstration of the exceeding greatness of his power. And as a believer, you must understand this. It's important to live a spirit-empowered life. Understanding this to an issue two foundational reasons why Jesus demonstrated his power. Why he showed his power the way he did for two foundational reasons you must get. Number one, write this down. Are you ready for this? Number one, to reveal the mystery of godliness. That looks like a big word, but it's not really a big word. The word mystery means secret. Godliness means the God kind of life or the God kind of living. So we can say Jesus demonstrated the power or his power to reveal the secret of the God kind of living. That's what mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3, 16. He said, great, he said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Everybody say mystery of godliness. What is mystery? It means secret. It was hidden. It wasn't known before, but he has revealed it. He has made it known. What is godliness? Everybody said the God kind of living. Look at a person. Say godliness means the God kind of living. Say it one more time. Say the God kind of living. So why did Jesus demonstrate his power? To reveal to me and you, the church, the God kind of what? Living. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody say the God kind of living. I'm not hearing you. 
Say the God kind of living. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The God kind of, he demonstrated his power to reveal the mystery of godliness. What is the mystery? The God kind of living. The God kind of living is, oh, precious Holy Spirit, open our understanding. You've been born again to the God kind of life. The God kind of living. Before you got born again, Bible says, that which is born of the flesh is of the flesh. If all the birth you've experienced is only natural birth, you've been born to live the human life. But the day you got born again, that which is born of the spirit is what? Is of the spirit. The moment you're born again, beyond being born into the natural, which is a birth to sin, the sin of Adam's transgression, the day you got born again, you were born to live the God kind of life. Colossians 1, 26. Are we there? It says the mystery. What's mystery? The mystery of godliness, which has been hidden from ages and from generations. Let's, let's hold that first. All through the Old Testament, after the fall of Adam, God could not dwell in man. God lived among men. The operations of the spirit, the spirit would descend. Once he uses man, it will lift. Read your Bible. That's how it worked. And, and because God had a plan, in order for God to maintain his presence among them, are you still with me? Please, are you still with me? In order to maintain his presence among men, he gave instruction through the old covenant priesthood for them to make a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was called the tabernacle of meeting. And brothers and sisters, it was a glorious time. These men had glory experiences. Even God not even living inside them, but living among them. When God wanted to do anything, he would tell them to come. And he gives specific instruction on how to approach him. There was the Holy of, Holy of Holies, which only the high priest went in once a year. And there was the Holies, which was the outer part of the court, where the other priests could minister. And, and, and these were put in place to maintain a relationship with God and the people. So God can dwell among his people. There was a benefit that went with that, uh, that, that realm of experience with God. The glory of God was very evident with them. When the enemy tried to stop them, the presence of God that was dwelling among them stopped it. They couldn't be cursed because God was among his people. Moses had experiences of glory in that covenant. When Paul began to contrast the glory of the first with the glory we now have, he said the glory of the old covenant was glorious. Somebody say glorious. Okay, come in, come on, come on, listen. What could be more glorious than watching Red Sea open before your face? River open to two. Then stand like a fence on the left and on the right, and you pass through on dry land. As soon as you are coming out, then God told Moses, stretch forth your rod. And he did, and the river closed back, and you watch people who had tormented you for how many years die before you. What could be more glorious than that? What could be glorious than 
you know, they needed, they traveled for three days, no water, no food. They became hungry, and God decided to test them with their appetite. And they told Moses, did you bring us here to kill us? What is this? Did you tell you that we didn't have food in, his, uh, in Egypt? And, and, and Moses went to God, so what did God say? Okay, you know what? Take your um, rod, strike the rock. And it did, and boom, water came out. Are you hearing me? Water came out, and the people drank, and they were excited. What could be more glorious than that? What could be glorious for God sustaining a bunch of stiff-necked people for 40 years, providing for them, making sure they ate? Their clothes didn't worn out. Their shoes did not worn out. Everything they had was being sustained by the power of Almighty God. What could be glorious than that? Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? And not to talk about the mighty waves of deliverances that God did through uh, 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 the different prophets and all the men of God that was raised by, what could be more glorious? I was reading yesterday in my study about the victory that God gave to Gideon. Gideon, 300 men. With 300 men, God delivered thousands into their hands. What could be glorious than that? And you can go on and on and on and on. But when Paul talked about the glory you and I have, he said the glory we now share in Christ are you hearing it? Are you hearing me? Many of you are still wishing that you were like Moses. Many of you say, where is the God of Elijah? None of the disciples prayed like that. Are you hearing me? What is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They don't, the New Testament will not pray like that. If you're talking like that, that means you don't know the glory that has been given to you in Christ. As powerful as the old covenant was, as glorious as the old covenant was, brothers and sisters, it cannot be compared to the glory that we have received in Christ. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. That was when the disciples had a crisis of conscience and reasoning. Jesus said, it's time for me to go. They said, where did they go? He said, I'm going to the Father. Which Father? And Jesus noticed they were sad. He said, oh... Because I told you I am going, you become sad. He said, but can I tell you something? It is better for you that I go. For 40 years, they were supplied with manna. When they needed food, God gave them. They were used to manna. But Jesus said, hey, as, as powerful as the manna experience is, there is something bigger, better, and more glorious than the manna experience. Brothers and sisters, hear me. If you don't get this, then you miss the whole essence of Christianity. As glorious as the old covenant was, the Bible said God had a fault with the old covenant. The old covenant could not redeem the man in totality. It could meet the needs of men. It could take up the external need. It could set them apart, but it couldn't redeem man and restore man back to God. And so God decided to set aside this glorious covenant that made the Jewish people standard among other nations of the earth because of a mystery he was waiting to reveal through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You read your Bible. You wonder, why is it that the, the New Testament, they will not say, oh, God of Elijah, God of uh, Isaiah, God of uh, Ezekiel, God of, um, which other prophet again? God of Daniel, God of Habakkuk. Some of you don't read Habakkuk, so you don't know Habakkuk. God of Habakkuk. Uh -huh. Thank you. 
God of Shadrach, Meshach, what's the other one? Abednego, yes. That's the name they give them there. All right? The Egyptians give them. Oh, God of, fourth man, up here. Eh, eh. What you carry, what you carry in Christ is more glorious than what Moses saw. You didn't hear me. See, you, you need a mind orientation. Otherwise, you will belittle what Christ has given you and you want to go and play back what they saw in the Old Testament. No, that ship has sailed. You didn't hear what I said. Let me show you. Go to, go to Colossians 1. Let me show you something. Colossians 1, 26. Are you there? Are you there? It is my prayer that the Holy Spirit will illuminate your understanding so you can begin to take the limits of. Everybody say, take the limit off. Colossians 1, 26. The secret which has been hidden from the ages and from generation for over 4,000 years. But now has been what? Revealed. The word revealed means make known. To who? Pastors. To saints. Who are saints? Those who are born again. Who has, who has declared faith in Christ. To the saints. Now, watch this. Watch this. Go to verse 27. To them. Who is the them? The saints. To them, God willed. Come on. Can you pray in tongues more? Pray in tongues. Because this, I don't want you to get, miss this. To the saints, to them, God will. I said pray in tongues. Don't, don't be praying in tongues. Because you, you need to, your head needs to shut down and your spirit needs to rise and get this. Open your mind and pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Verse 27, to them, who are the them, the saints, God willed to do what? To make known what are the riches of the glory of this, this, the riches is the wealth of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles or the nation, the word gender means the nation. What is the mystery? Christ in you. Hey. What is this mystery? Christ. This is what the old covenant people didn't have. They saw the hand of God, they saw the glory of God, but they did not have Christ in you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Say, oh, the word Christ in you means God now lives inside you. Did you hear what I said? When Jesus died on the cross, the, the curtain that separated the tabernacle, the, the ark of the covenant, which was a symbol of God's presence, the curtain that separated which if you're not up to rise and you behold it, you die. That cutting was torn into true, meaning God was done with that setup. Are you getting this? I told you Jesus came as son of man, son of God. He was son of man because God had to become a man. Are you hearing me? We saw that in Philippians chapter 2. 
he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. And being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus' coming was proof that deity, son of God, became son of man. Son of God doesn't mean that he was born by God. Son of man means just talked about his deity. He was God, but God in man. Are you hearing me? And the reason God became a man is so that man can become like God. That's the mystery. Oh, you're not hearing me. In the Old Testament, God wrote the laws in stones and tablets. They were given several laws to keep. In the new covenant, God writes the law in your spirit. Are you listening to me? And he says, I will not say to this domain, he says, everybody will know me from the least to the greatest. So the, the, the power to know and to do the will of God will come from your spirit because he lives there with you. The mystery is God in me. Say with me, say God lives in me. Come on, say that. Say God lives in me. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.22, in whom, in Christ, you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. Say with me, say, I am a dwelling place of God. You know what a dwelling place means? That means where you stay. We all came from our house this morning. Is that not true? And you ask have an address. So if someone will look for you, they say, where do you live? I live at number 12, so and so. All right, that's your residence. That's your dwelling place. Brothers and sisters, where does God live today? You know, many of us, we've not embraced that. Where does he live? Okay, let's find out what is in the Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Because if you know where he lives, you will not be praying that he's, like he's far away. You will not be praying as if you are trying to, you know, it's somewhere in the cloud. I call it the Tower of Babel Syndrome. Let us build a house that will go through the sky and meet God. You know that kind of mindset. Many of us still have the towel of Babel mindset. But, but please, I want your mind to shift. First Corinthians 3, verse 16. Are you there? If you are there, say amen. amen. What does it say? Do you not know, so if you don't know, know now, that you are the, what is a temple? A dwelling place. There's an old English word called fame. F-A-N-E. The word fame means a shrine. A shrine is where a deity stays. We are the shrine of God. He said, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that what? The spirit of God dwells. Say this three times. The spirit of God dwells in me. Ah. The Spirit of God dwells in me. First John 4, verse 4 says, go there. First John 4, 4. It says, You are of God. The word of God means you are a product of God. You came from Him. 
Acts 17 says we are his offspring. You are of God. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who is the greater one in you? God. Say the greater one lives inside me. Say it. One more time. Say the greater one lives on the inside of me. Now, now hear me. Christ in us is the presence of his spirit in me. When the Bible says Christ in you, it's talking about the presence of his spirit in you. He said, because don't you know you are the temple of God and Christ is God? And that the spirit of God dwells in you. So Christ in me is the presence of his spirit in me. Say the presence of the spirit is in me. So, so when you say Christ in me, you're saying that his spirit dwells in you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, now, this is very powerful. The presence of Christ's spirit in you is the presence of his power and his wisdom inside you. If Christ in you is the, is the spirit in you, that means the presence of his spirit in you is the presence of his power and of his spirit. How do I know? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. What does the Bible say? It says, but, those, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and what? The wisdom of God. So the presence of the spirit of Christ in you is the presence of his power I hope you know the Holy Ghost and Jesus, they are God. The Holy Ghost is called another comforter. Jesus is a comforter. The word another comforter means alos paracletos, another of the same kind. So Jesus was telling his disciples, my going away from you physically, you are not losing anything. You are going to... Enter an upgraded relationship with me that will be more powerful than the one you have with me now. He said, let me just tell you why. He said, I have so many things to tell you, but the kind of relationship we have where you are seeing me physically is limiting you. And there are many of you here, you will really want Jesus to appear to you. How many of you want that? Come on. Eh? Won't you want Jesus to appear to you? Now, as glorious as that is, Maybe God would, in his mercy, can show you that. But, but what you carry is glorious. It's not about him appearing to your senses. It's about you knowing that you are united with him in spirit. One in spirit. The one you are looking for is his appearance. is already alive in you in the person of the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on. Are you getting what I'm saying? Say with me. Say Christ in me. Is the presence of the Spirit in me. And the presence of the Spirit in me is the presence of the power of God and the wisdom of God. So where does the power of God live? I like that. Where does God power live? 
Where does God's power wisdom live? God's wisdom live? Where? Say, in me. Say, in me. So, brothers and sisters, you are host to God. You are God's residency on earth. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Now, now this is where I want to connect, and I'm going to stop. I'll continue in the second service. We must learn to cultivate the consciousness. The word conscious means mindful. You, we must learn to cultivate the consciousness of the indwelling presence of Christ in us. We must become mindful that he lives in us. Are you hearing me? You must become what? Mindful that he lives in you. You must become mindful that he lives in us. That the spirit of Christ, the presence of God's power and wisdom lives in you. Because your faith will be regulated by your consciousness. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. Go to 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going to stop there quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 3. If we know this, brothers and sisters, it will change our life. You must cultivate it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is with me than he that is in the world. First Corinthians 3 verse 1 to verse 3. Are we there? The Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. Everybody says spiritual people. Say it one more time. Say spiritual people. But as to canal, as to babes in Christ, or children in Christ, or immature. Verse 2, I fed you with milk. And not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. Why? Because the, the, the consciousness they carry is that of a babe. An immature consciousness. That are looking for signs and wonders. That's a babe, babish mindset. It's called a carnal mindset. He said, I, I can't I can talk to you as spiritual people that you are because there is a mentality of a babe inside you look at verse 2 he, verse, uh, he said for until now you were not able to receive it even now you are still not able verse 3 why for you are still carnal for where there are envy strife and division among you are you not carnal and behave as what and behave as what? And behave as what? Now, let me say this quickly. Christ in us makes us spiritual by status and standing. Say, I am spiritual. Your spiritual means that's who you are by identity. That's who you are. That's your nature. Say, I am spiritual by nature. Say, 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 I am spiritual by nature. To be spiritual by nature means you now possess the same life of God. You now carry the same nature of God. Say, I am a partaker of the divine nature. Say, I have the same life of God in me. Say, because God lives in me. The fact that God lives in you means you have the same nature. You are spiritual just like him. Say, amen. 
now watch this we are not partakers of his divine nature now but but hear me we must also become spiritually minded and functional otherwise we are denying our spiritual reality as spiritual people the problem with christianity today is that christians who are supposed to be spiritual people are carnally minded they are carnally minded what is it does it mean to be carnal? listen to this we must become spiritually minded people look at your neighbor say spiritually minded said to be spiritually minded our consciousness should be spiritual at all time did you hear what i said let me stop with this to be mere men is to be carnal to be mere men is to be what? Is to be carnal. Now, what does that mean? It simply means to function without the influence of the spiritual. To be carnal is to be what? Mere men. To function like ordinary men without the influence of the super, super, spiritual. Another meaning for the word spiritual, write this down, is supernatural. The Greek word for spiritual is pneumaticos, the same word that is used in 1 Corinthians 12 when it talks about spiritual gift. So the word spiritual means supernatural. Now, when you are carnal, you are functioning without the influence of the supernatural. You are functioning without the influence of the supernatural. In the second sentence, I'm going to go deeper. And that's what's wrong with many Christians. You're spiritual by nature, but you are functional, you are carnal by mindset. So your interest is earthly. You are interested in earthly things. That's what trips you. When it comes to hearing God's word, you can't survive one hour. But when it comes to browsing and doing earthly things, you are energized. You are fully charged. Your battery is running on full mode. But when it's spiritual things, you, you dry out before. The, you know the reason why? It's because your mind is carnal. Are you hearing me? Your mind is what? It's carnal. God, Paul said, I, I can talk to you as who you are by nature. Are you paying attention? I can talk to you as who you are by nature because you have adopted a mindset that is not allowing your nature to walk. When you are carnal, you've adopted a mentality that does not allow your nature as a supernatural being. Another word for spiritual means supernatural. God in you makes you supernatural. God in you makes you what? Supernatural. And you must be supernaturally minded to operate as a supernatural person. Are you hearing me? Rise up on your feet. We'll continue in second service. Hallelujah. Spirit of God, worship you. Father, we thank you for the word. Pray that this word will take root in our hearts and will bear fruits in our lives in Jesus' name. We thank you for another opportunity to honor you with our offerings as we give. It is given to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We ask that your grace will continue to abound in our lives.
thank you for joining us today. Your generosity helps us to take this message to the ends of the earth. You can give on our website at www.therefugehc.org. So go ahead and click on the link in the description. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this.